Welcome, everyone. This is Mauricio Molina, your host for the inaugural episode of the Brothers of Happy Valley. With me tonight, Howard Breen, Penn State Class of 1998, Bachelor of Science degree, Criminal Justice, Founding Father, Kappa Phi Sigma, 1995, Sergeant-at-Arms, 1995-1997, University Park Chapter President, 1997 and 1998, and he danced and danced marathon for Kappa Phi Sigma in 1998. Hi, thanks for joining me tonight. I really appreciate it. Hope you're doing well. <laughs> I am, thank you. Thanks for having me on, though. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely, this is going to be fun. All right, so you graduated in the spring of 1998, which is around May. Um, tell everybody, basically, when did you leave State College? When did you leave the house and pack up and say goodbye to University Park for good? Well, let's see. Well, we graduated in early May. I'm still trying to get myself together, you know, still having a little bit of fun in the process before I decided to become an adult. I probably headed back to Pittsburgh, I'm going to say, by mid, uh, mid-June. Of that same year, in probably 1998, I finally decided to go back to Pittsburgh and uh, get going with my uh, career. All right, nice. Uh, what'd you do for six weeks? Did you work? Did you just kind of hang out in front of the soup of the uh, house? And who was who was hanging around at that time? That's a great question. Um, Trying to remember, I do believe that there's still well, most of the guys were there during the summer. And I do believe that we hung out. I can't remember specifically who it was. I know there was like Richie was still there. And I believe Odie was still there and a couple of the other guys that were still in the house. Uh, I still worked a little bit. I was, I was working at a uh, sub shop uh, called Leo's Hoagie House. And I think I kept my job there until a little bit after graduation. And that's it. I just packed up and uh, left and told everybody goodbye and, you know, I told everybody I would see him when I see him, and we would still keep together, and that I would be back in the fall, and, and when the next pledge class started, and, you know, kind of kind of be part of the alumni association that we were we were trying to create. Nice, very nice. Uh, where in Pittsburgh did you move back to? Well, I first moved back to my old uh, stomping grounds in Trafford, PA, which is right outside of uh, Pittsburgh, and I moved in with uh, my uh, moved in with my old with my best friend Steve, uh, we had an apartment together when we were at, back in our Keysport days. And then when you and I moved up to State College and opened the house and stuff like that for those three years, I moved back into his apartment, same apartment I had uh, over above the pizza shop. The only difference was by then I had to move to the front room of the apartment, which was like the half size of one of our closets. So, and it didn't have any air. And it was in the summertime. So let's just say it wasn't the... Uh, most comfortable situations for that first probably month or so. All right. Well, that's uh, that's essentially going back to the beginning after three, four years of, of what would be life-changing in terms of growing up, experiences, uh, not only in the fraternity, but obviously in school. Uh, what was that like to kind of go back and, and start over in the same place? Funny thing is, I probably didn't see it that way. But uh, when you're at, now that you're kind of putting it in that context of reflection, I, it, was re- it was really weird. I, I did feel like I was out of place. Uh, you know, Steve uh, had a girlfriend who he then married not long after that, uh, after me graduating, and you know they had their own lives. You know, I had been gone for what three years, and uh, it felt like I was a stranger in a, in my own first home. You know, I felt like that. It was, he, you know, Steve and Shannon had moved on and I was just kind of there. So I definitely didn't feel like a roommate. I felt more like a guest. So what happened was probably not long after I moved with Steve for about a month or so, I hooked up with one of our former and original founding fathers, Mr. Jeffrey Fuller. He was living in West Mifflin in his grandmother's old co-op apartment. And I reached out to him and I said, hey, you know, you looking for a roommate? And. You know, he had a two-bedroom apartment. It was like a little townhouse, kind of crappy, you know, really not so great part of West Mifflin. And uh, I moved out from Steve, and he was cool with that because him and Shannon were in the process of buying their own first home. And I moved in with Fuller and kind of started things there. Well, that definitely was a, a blast from the past at that point, I'm sure. So oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's like anything, like anytime we reconnect, it's kind of like now, you know, when we've been reconnecting with our, our, our brotherhood, 
and some we haven't seen, you and I haven't seen for probably 20 years or close to it. And it's funny how you get everybody in the same room and it's almost like it's 1998 all over again. That's true. Definitely a fact. Um, so tell us a little bit about your career. Did you, did you enter the workforce immediately when you arrived in Pittsburgh? Was it, uh, was it within your area of study? What happened? Well, like anybody else, um, I put feelers out everywhere. I applied for every government job I can get my hands on. I applied for every job that I could figure out that I was qualified for. And I ended up working at an agency in August. I got a job in August uh, at a group home in McKeesport, right across the street from the campus in which you and I started at. It was almost like I never left. It's kind of like talking about going, it's not even 360, it's more like a 720. <laughs> and uh, I worked at the group home for almost a year and a half, about, eh, about 13, 14 months. And uh, it was working with adolescent boys, and some of them were very interesting you know they were some were delinquents some were part of social services uh, it was sort of what i had studied but not really in law enforcement but it was my way in it was a way for me to to kind of get my foot in the door uh, i made a whopping seven dollars and four cents an hour and uh i worked probably 60 70 hours a week <laughs> Well, and you had other you had other opportunities, different places that you decided to turn down or didn't uh, um, didn't pursue, right? I mean, I, I know that we've discussed over the years that there was an opportunity to go to the armed division of the CIA. I know that you probably could have gone back into the into the military, probably OCS. I mean, what what were some of those options like, and and why did you choose to go back home? Well, probably, well, the CIA thing, that really, uh, that I was really convinced that was going to be my route. You're right. I was convinced. But then one day I got a lovely uh, uh, letter that said, uh, we've changed our mind. Don't call us. We'll call you. <laughs> I was like, okay. And uh, I did, I never really wanted to go into law enforcement. That's the thing. I never, I mean, I could have went and applied for other jobs in, in, in law enforcement, but I hadn't really thought about that. And I think I just went back to Pittsburgh because, like most of us who are from that area, it seemed comfortable. It was just more of a, you know, I know people. It was easy. It was cheaper and expensive. And I kind of just fell into the, the group home. People were talking about it. And I can't remember who I met or ran into that summer. And I just applied. And, you know, there was a time where, you know, got, I got hired. And I just figured this was a good way for me to start and learn. So uh, I, I just, I, maybe it was more out of comfort, you know. I mean, being back in McKeesport, uh, it was nice to be. I knew McKeesport very well for years. Being from Pittsburgh, but going to school there for two years, and it just seemed like a good place. Plus, I worked with a round of people our age. You know, they were probably in their mid-20s like us, graduated from college. And it almost became like a pseudo-work family, and it made it very simple. Uh, we did happy hours. We would all work together. We would all go out and drink together. So I think that kind of kept me there for at least that first year. And then, of course, that's where I met my wife because, you know, she worked uh, She worked in the uh, foster care and shelter unit, and I worked upstairs in the adolescent boys unit, and we just – that's how we met. So I think once her and I started getting together and dating, I, I figured it was probably the smart thing for me to just stay, probably from the sense of just our – relationship well let's let's touch upon something just because i know something that everyone out there listening doesn't uh let's talk about a mckeesport connection stacy breen <laughs> mrs stacy breen graduated from mckeesport high school correct yeah she did she graduated her family's from mckeesport uh her whole livelihood i mean she has a large family she went to mckeesport high school which was right across the street from the mckeesport campus <laughs> yeah yeah, it, it's almost like McKeesport was a beacon of, like, pulling us back in, you know, like the old saying. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. Did, did, you, was, have any, was, did you have any connections to McKeesport prior to you attending Penn State McKeesport? The only, time I, the only time I had ever been in McKeesport was when I was in high school. We played them for football. That was it. That's the only thing I knew about McKeesport. <laughs> so, so you managed to... Start your college career there. You ended up moving back into the area and then working literally in Pittsburgh, meeting your wife who was from, I'm uh, sorry, uh, working in McKeesport, 
meeting your yep. wife who was from McKeesport and it just unbelievable. I mean, that that's a trifecta that's, uh, yep. you know, kind of shake my head a little bit. How does that happen? <laughs> well, and then after I left Auburn from McKeesport and I got my first county job as a, uh, uh, as a child protection worker or family services, whatever they called it back then, I was stationed in McKeesport in the Mon Valley. <laughs> so I went from one side of McKeesport uh, by the high school to my office, which was on Fifth Avenue, right in the down, right near the uh, hospital. Amazing. So, and I, so you can literally say, Mo, for the first mm, two and a half years of my career, I was in McKeesport. Unbelievable. Yeah, so, and Stacy and I, our first apartment was right down, right at the intersection where we did our teeter totter thon for two years at Penn State McKeesport in North for <laughs> Sales. <laughs> Awesome. I, I will never forget spending that first uh, that first weekend out on that lawn in front of Burger King, and having the founding and having the founding fathers show up and wanting to shut us down. Good thing it was for kids. Yeah, so, yep. I could I could see that intersection from my apartment uh, every day. For we, we were probably there for wow, almost year and a half, two years. Unbelievable. So. So you ended up dating. Um, tell us a little bit about your dating life and uh, how, how did she fall in love with the great University Park president, Howard Brink? <laughs> wow, I don't know if we have enough time for that one. That's a great story. I, you know, I, I just maybe it's persistence. Maybe it's my charm. Maybe she just didn't know any better. I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, we're going on. We've been together since uh, early of 1999. Good Lord. Uh, so that's now over 20 years that her and I have been together and our anniversary is coming up this year and we're going to be married 19 years. Uh, you know, my great question, you know, her just probably well as I do. And I think because we were completely different, you know, I, I came from a very small family. She comes from a very large family. I think the fact that we both worked in the same industry, uh, she understood that we understood that together. And I think that was a plus. You know, when you work in the same industry, kind of like you and your wife, it makes things easier on your life. I think that Stacy liked the fact that I was very independent, had my own friends. She had her own friends. We didn't really need each other to rely on all the time. I don't know. That's a great question. I mean, I'm sure if you ask her uh, that question, she'd probably have a different answer. Well, we uh, could... I'd, like to, I'd like to believe it was my charm. It was my mystique of my presence. I don't know, you know. Oh, who knows? Maybe after we get this done, we'll we'll go back and do a follow-up, <laughs> the wives of the brothers of Capify Sigma, and find out those stories from those perspectives. Yeah, I think that'd that. be fun. <laughs> All right. So so tell us about the kids. You've got two kids. Yep. I have two children, uh, Mason, who will be 15 this November. Wow. I can't believe I'm saying that. And he'll be a freshman in high school. Can't believe I'm saying that either. And Sydney, uh, who will turn 12 on the 18th of this month, so within the next, uh, what, two weeks? She is in sixth grade, because uh, the school year is ending, so I'm thinking she's in seventh, but she's going into seventh grade. They're both very active. They both play a lot of sports. Mason is into basketball and football, and Sydney plays soccer. And she did play basketball this year, though. Just so you know, you'd be kind of proud to see her play basketball. She's, it was her first year ever playing basketball. It was quite the sight. Um, you know, she gave it her all. She wasn't real quick about transitioning up and down the court, but she gave it her 100%. Soccer is her thing. She's been playing soccer. You know that since she was about five, six years old uh, in Vegas when we were living there. And, you know, she really excels at soccer. Mason played his second year of tackle football. You know, we tried to wait on his tackle football career because of all the studies saying about the head injuries and things like that. So he'll be going into freshman football in the fall, if hopefully, God willing, we have freshman football. And we'll see how it goes. All right. Now, who's got, who has whom's personality? Oh, man, that's a great question. I think that Sydney is like me. And looks like my side of the family. Sydney looks like the uh, Sydney has the, the the Jewish look, the very dark curly hair, uh, the very same facial features that I have. Mason is very similar to Stacy, uh, but looks like me, but built like me. But he looks like Stacy's side of the family. Stacy's uh, got a half brother who is, happens to be Mason's uncle, 
who was born on the same day, but three years apart, Jonathan, him, Jonathan and Mason have very similar personalities. Uh, where Sydney is very smart, very where she takes after Stacy in the education department, because you know I'm I'm the literary giant. But uh, Sydney's very similar to my side of the family. So you, as you see them getting older, you see their different traits. But you know how it is when you're getting into that preteens, as you know from your own son. You know, conversations are yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> right. Well, you know, teenagers. I mean, it's the truth. I've spent my entire career with them. They're they can definitely be like that, kind of force words out of them. But uh, how, how do you guys, how do you spend your free time? What are the hobbies? What are the, obviously you touched upon the kids already and what they're doing with sports. But um, what are you doing and, and how do you guys spend family time together? Well, it's a great question. Um, I was very involved with, well, I tried not to be super involved with the sports because it's different. Uh, I did help a coach, Mason, for the last two years for football, but I was one of many uh coaches so that was nice so i wasn't the only primary coach and uh i, I with soccer I, I just be a, i'm just a parent sport you know sydney's in part of a club so i don't really have to be and when she joined basketball i didn't want to coach basketball i did coach mason's basketball team when he first played two years ago but i'm not real good with basketball as you know you probably know more about basketball than i do so i didn't find it very successful we had a good team uh, we played the best defense. I'm sure you're not shocked about that. But we lost just about every game. So uh, I decided to just be more of a support, you know, taking them to practice, being there for practices and their games. Um, I try to play golf, but it's Minnesota, so you know how that goes. I could probably only play for two months out of the year. Uh, we do a lot of stuff. Uh, we try to go out and experience Minnesota. We try to do between, you know, when they're not busy doing stuff in sports, like as busy as you are, we try to do something. Uh, we try to at least always have, we have Sunday dinners every week. Every Sunday, we always have a family dinner. That's just the way it is. Even during our lockdown right now, we will eat at the dining room table at least once or twice a week as a family just to keep that going because I think it's very important for us to have that meal together as a family, even if it's for only 10 minutes. I totally understand. All right. Well, um, let's see. We've kind of discussed a little bit about your transitions. We've talked about your family, your kids, your wife, your incredible charm. Uh, who, <laughs> and, and obviously we've kept in touch over the years, but who, who, with whom have you really kept in touch with outside of myself? I mean, what have you, what have you done? Who have you seen? Well, I try to keep, you know, as you know, it's, it's difficult. Guys, even though there's a lot of the guys still in Pittsburgh, I try to keep in touch with everyone as best I can. Uh, for many years, I, w- I, I used to spend a lot of time with John Ward. Uh, I would actually, you know, while I, was still, while I was still in Pittsburgh, back and forth, uh, I would always try to visit with him, get together with him. Um, I, Sean Cartwright, probably. Sean Cartwright and Hill are probably the two brothers I've seen the most recently because, you know, Mason and I would come in for Steeler games. Both Cartwright and Hill have season tickets. So we would go and get together and do that. Obviously yourself, um, but I tried to, you know, mostly via text, you know, we've seen, obviously we've seen Biddle, you know, Biddle with his job and when he would come out to Vegas and you and I would get together and have dinners with him. We try to, you know, talk and text. Mostly it's been through technology. I guess it's kind of hard to physically to do things now, but I think now that technology is getting a lot better. Uh, I kind of wish we'd have had this maybe, what, 10 years ago? Maybe 15 years ago, I think would, would things would be a lot better. So I think we're going to, I think now that we're using technology more, I think we're going to continue to have a better relationship with guys that we normally would have had much difficulty getting in touch with. Um, and, and truthfully, with this, this has all come about uh, really through, through the request of Habib when he asked about, you know, getting people together, getting people reconnected. And, um, you know, through through tragedy with this COVID-19 situation that we're all living yeah. through and experiencing right now, uh, you know, there's silver linings everywhere. And I think that the virtual happy hours and seeing everybody and being able to talk together for five hours at a time. And I, I think that there's definitely a silver lining in all this. And I, I really hope that just like this podcast, we continue to build and, and reconnect in different ways. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing this. So... Um, we talked a little bit about the growing pains of you leaving Penn State. Um, tell me, what do you miss the least about college, about living in, Penn, living in State College and living at the house, 228 South Atherton Street, which, uh, which really just a, 
holds a dear place in my heart. And actually, uh, Bill and I went by there about a couple of years ago when we went to a football game and uh, brought a cup, brought my kid and, and his. Uh, we stopped by the house and took a look. And there's a fresh coat of paint on it, just so you know. But, but <laughs> what do you miss about it? You know, I think because, like yourself, you know, when we started college, we were a little bit older. You know, I wasn't a young I wasn't a young kid when we started college. I was almost 22 when we started college. So it's I think it was different. I think that the very I, I will say this: the one thing I regret at the end is I think being close to the age of 25 or 26, I knew it was time to move on. Like I knew it was finally time for us to grow up and to move on. I think if we had been a little bit younger, maybe you know, like the rest of the guys, I might have thought things differently. Uh, I loved every minute of it. I loved every minute of our three and a half years at State College. I loved everything about what we did. I don't regret anything about what we did. I think I don't – and I actually didn't even miss the work. You know, I thought school um, kind of grounded me, and I thought it kind of made me feel like I was doing something with myself. So I, I think that's what pushed me in, in a direction that I ended up going into through my career. And uh, I look back and I go, you know, I don't really – I wasn't crazy about the – I don't know. Maybe if you, it's, it's a great question. I think not to sound kind of nostalgic, but the one thing I don't miss is the uncertainty. You know, because with every semester, the uncertainty of the end would drive us. And I think now knowing, now if we could look back and knowing that wasn't going to be such a big deal, I think those last few years would have been even better. I understand. Totally if, that makes sense, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. 100%. I mean, it, nobody knew what they were walking into. Everybody had dreams and hopes of uh, what they were going to find career-wise. And But the reality is is that you're transitioning into the unknown. And, you know, like you said, you, you went back someplace that was comfortable, but, you know, which kind of transitions into the next question. Uh, you know, where have you lived? What Where have you moved to? What what have you experienced? Like so many people, they, their careers have taken them to different parts of the country. Um, so kind of touch a little bit upon that and, and tell me what that was like, leaving, leaving Pittsburgh, uh, leaving that place of comfort and your friends, uh, not just once, but two or three times from what I, from what I remember. Yeah. Well, I think what, that's a great, well, it's, it, I think because I was in the military uh, prior to us meeting, and going to college, that gave me a sense of being able to not be afraid to make changes and make choices and do different things. So I, that was never an issue. I, and I, you know, and when we were back in Pittsburgh. It's been a, it's been a part of that. It's been a good thing, and part of it's been a curse. And this is what I'll say about that. Uh, I, I still, even today, have a hard time keeping myself grounded to just one idea. And I say one idea doing the same thing over and over and over again for a period of time. I mean, had I never, you know, there's this crazy guy named Mo who calls me up and says, you got to come to Vegas. <laughs> Why? You just got to come to Vegas. I can't explain it. You got to come out here. You got to see it. You just got to come out. But why? I can't explain it. Just get on a plane, come to Vegas. Okay. So Stacy and I get on a plane, come to Vegas in February of 2003. It's February, it's Vegas, it's 65 degrees, 70 degrees during the day, 50 at night, you, you, you're building, you're, you're in a brand new housing complex, there's mountains behind you, there's no, there's no clouds in the sky. We get in Vegas, and then the next day in Pittsburgh, a storm hits. They get about a foot of snow. And you're just sitting there going, do I want to go back to a foot of snow, or do I want to stay out here where it's going to be 75, 80 degrees for the next three months? Hmm. And then it's look, look, look at the jobs that you guys could be doing. You know, you guys were, you know, you, you knew I was a probation officer back then. Okay. What are you getting paid as? Well, I'm barely making 30 grand a year. Well, here's what a person in, in Clark County makes walking in the door. Huh? $15,000 more. That's just walking in the door. Uh, you know, it, it kind of drove me, it kind of drove me to this idea that maybe I need something better. But the whole thing that shocked me about moving to Vegas in 2003 is that Stacy was completely wide open about it. You know, she came from a very large family. I mean, she has probably easily 40 first cousins between her mother's side and her dad's side, easily. That's I a have big two. family. Yeah, she's in, it's, and she had no problem saying, let's go do it, let's let's do it. And, and we moved to Vegas, you know, I, I, as we all know from the guys in the fraternity, you know, you and I lived together, I was 
nice enough for you to open your home when you were just brand new there yourself. And I lived with you for that first, you know, eight, nine months. Then Stacy came out in early 2004. We found in a crappy apartment because uh, the economy was booming and places to live were getting hard to find. And we tried to make a life. You know, I went from the county and then I went to the state, ran the juvenile prison for a couple of years while you were growing your teaching career. And Stacy got a job working for Clark County and family services and you know, it was, but it wasn't until Mason was born in November of 2005, you know, you were there and she just panicked, you know, her family came out, her dad came out, her mom came out and she would just cry when they would leave, you know, and I would say, what's wrong? And she's like, you know, we have this crappy apartment, you know, we're stuck in here, you know, I miss my family, no one's going to help us with the kids. I think the fear of that first child syndrome really makes sense. And she panicked and she said, I want out. I want to leave. I said, you want to leave? I said, she said, what do you mean you want to leave? She's like, I want to leave. I want out. I want out. And I said, okay. You know, I mean, she, I figured she decided to move to Vegas for me. And if she wanted to go back to Pittsburgh for her, then that's what I did. And by the spring of the following year, we were back in Pittsburgh. You know, 2000, this is 2006 now. I went back to work, just like you said, Mo, instead of going to McKeesport, I end up in Homewood, which is not far from a key sport, <laughs> you know, back in probation, uh, making no money, but it was comfort. And I had a job and I had benefits and stuff like that. And she was working these odds and ends job. And then I kid, you know, you and I were talking still and you were kind of like, why are you, why are you, why'd you leave? And next thing you know, what happens? Stacy wakes up one day and says, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go back to Vegas. Well, at least okay. you can't blame me this time. That's all I can say. What's, what's that? <laughs> I said at least you can't blame me this time. <laughs> no, no, I didn't. No, I didn't blame you. But you didn't. But you made it very easy because you were like, "Oh, no problem. Hey, I'll help you. No, what do you need? What, what do you now? Mind you, by now this is now 2007. This was right at the cusp of what? Uh, this was right as things were starting to turn to crap. The economy was starting to change. Uh, this was right before the bubble hit. You know, of course, you and Kim were very helpful. But now it's different. Now Stacy's pregnant with child number two. And this is the fall of 2007. And I'm like, now what do we do? You know, and you were lucky enough to, you know, I moved out again. You know, this time I only stayed with you for about 30 days because I think the last time was more than enough. And, you know, we found that house. They actually, it was your idea. I almost walked away from it, but you talked me into it because you said, what are you doing? This is what, 1200 bucks a month? And you were like, are you kidding me? So, you know, we're back. And then we stayed until, uh, what, 2017. Yeah, you bought a beautiful house, backyard yeah, with a well, pool, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, well, the economy tanked, and, I, of course, I capitalized on it. I'm not going to lie. I have no problem telling people. But, you know, by, 10, by 2010, the economy crashed in Vegas. You know, and you would basically said, you got to capitalize on this. You need to go get a house. You need to do this. And we did. We bought a beautiful house that was ridiculously cheap, had a pool, in a decent neighborhood, not far from you, probably about, you know, mile, two miles from down the road from you. And we, you know, we had, we started our life, you know, we went to school and we got involved in sports and, you know, everything was kind of there. And one day, um, Stacy and I were talking and I, and I was kind of getting burned out with Vegas, you know, uh, and, and one day I, I, I made some, I had a couple career choices in Vegas that weren't exactly the best, but they're my choices, and I made decisions that I probably shouldn't have. And then Stacy gets a phone call from her current boss, who was living with us, who lived in Vegas, who worked with us at Clark County in Vegas. And she, now she came, she moves from Minnesota. She's now a big wig here. She's like a big director uh, for Hennepin County, which is like the same thing, Clark County, Arch County. Tell Stacy, you know, I want you to come work for me. I want you to come work for me. I want you to come work for me. I have a job for you. You can be one of my managers. You're not going to da 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 da. So she put Stacy put it off for probably a good year. I'm not kidding. I mean, this Michelle started the full court press probably back in 2016, probably about a year before we even decided. And say, you know, and I said, "Well, are you serious?" And she's like, "I don't know. I don't know." You know, she was hoping to get promoted to Clark County, but then people started coming and going, and then there was a new director, and then things started getting kind of not good. And then one day, you know, she just said, you know, I think I want to take Michelle's offer, 
what do you think? And I, by then, you know, had told you, you know, I was really not happy. Uh, my, my job choices, honestly, were kind of slim uh, in my field because, you know, Vegas is a one, one trick pony town. You know, either you work for the county or the state or that's kind of it. So I decided to, um, you know, maybe it's time for us to move on. I, you know, I was lucky enough to get a job right away uh, with Hennepin County and child, child protection. And by July 2017, we were in Minnesota. We sold the house in a matter of uh, two hours. <laughs> as soon as we put the house in the market, we had like 10 offers and people were throwing money at us. And it was like that I can't believe. Well, that was the thing that scared me the most. When you realize how fast you sold your, when you can sell your house and you're like, holy crap, now you have to leave. Because we had nowhere to go. It was like, okay, we're going to, your house is sold. And you got, and you got uh, 25000 over asking. And then you start saying to yourself, let me be sure to ask for more. <laughs> you know? I remember that phone call uh, from you. That yeah, is... but you knew, but you also knew the economy was still kind of very fragile. Things were kind of still not, you know. So, yeah, and that, this I'll say this, and, and I've told you, I've told you this, but I'll tell the rest of the guys or who's listening. You know, it is a lot easier to move for the fourth time, uh, not across the country, but about halfway when you have money in your pocket, that I will say. Because the first three times we moved, and you know this, well, we, we didn't have money. So moving this time was probably the easiest when you have a pocket full of money. A couple shekels in your pocket to kind of make things easy. And we've been in Minnesota since July of uh, 2017. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, you know, I definitely miss you. You know, my family misses you. It was, it was fun to have our kids spend a lot of time uh, growing up together for a little while and uh, before sports kind of led them, led them apart a little bit. But, um, you know, again, hopefully while, while everybody's reconnecting, we can get them reconnected as well. Uh, let, let's go, let's kind of circle back a little bit because you've moved around and you've been successful finding positions uh, that obviously have, have allowed you to make some good choices for your family and, and put yourselves in the positions that you're in. Uh, we didn't touch upon a couple of things that happened after graduation from Penn State. Uh, I don't know that you know most most people realize that you have a graduate degree. Uh, you want to you know kind of touch upon that a little bit because I know that that master's definitely opened doors. Well, I was lucky enough at the time uh, that. My contract at Allegheny County when I was a PO, we had tuition reimbursement. So I had the opportunity to go to – I never – you know, most people, I never thought about graduate school. I mean I was, I was not exactly – I was a decent student at Penn State, but I was not you know, the academia that I could have been. I did really well in my criminal justice classes, but my other courses I was – let's just say not as favorable as I could have been. So when I decided – so luckily we had the tuition reimbursement – and pretty much for half price, I'd be able to go to a uh, graduate school. Well, there was a new program that was starting in the city of Pittsburgh through a school called California University of Pennsylvania, Cal U. It's a state school. It's part of the Pennsylvania State University system. They had a campus that just opened up downtown. So it wasn't far from my office. Uh, well, no, not really. No, I was, I, was at the, I was at Eastern by then. But it wasn't too far. And it was a, it was a cohort, kind of similar to what you did at UNLV. And it was a 12-month program, and you would be able to, in 12 months, complete a master's degree program. And you had two options. You could do the thesis option, or you could do the comprehensive testing option. So I did that. I got in. I took the Miller. I took, instead of taking your uh, GREs, you, I, you had a choice. You could take the GREs, or you could take the uh, MATs, the Miller, what is it, what's it? I think it's, it's called the MATs, Mi the Miller, Miller Analogy Test. The Miller Analogy, Miller analogy Test. Yeah. And I took that. Surprisingly, I did very well in that, because uh, when I took the GREs, I did horribly. Uh, I didn't do as well as I thought I would. And then I got in, and I, I completed the program. I graduated with a, my master's degree in 13 months, and I graduated with a 3.35 grade point average. I know, because in graduate school, you can't get anything less than a B. But I did get with a bunch of Bs and a bunch, and I did a thesis, and I did the comprehensive uh, test as well. I did both. And that did. As soon as I got my master's degree, that I was able to parlay that into some teaching jobs. I totally forgot about that moment. Thanks for reminding me. Uh, I taught full time and part time for uh, for a school called ITT before it went crazy and ended up getting shut down by the government. 
it actually was a decent program. I taught full time there in their in their bachelor program and associates program, and then I and I was able to parlay that into teaching for University of Phoenix for a couple of years in their bachelor program. That also helped me go down the road of teaching and training, which I did for two different agencies, and the last the last one being the one in Vegas before we ended up leaving for St. Jude's Ranch for Children, where I was their training manager and compliance officer for the whole agency in all their locations, uh, in Nevada and in Texas. Did a lot of traveling, did a lot of training, did a lot of developing, didn't pay me anything, but you know, it was a decent job. Uh, I also played Santa Claus there, you know, they, they, they had the, they had the fat Jew playing Santa Claus. <laughs> Uh, for Christmas. I never knew you were Jewish. Are you Jewish? I didn't know that. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, and I, and the funny thing was I, I had gotten hired in November of 2013 and within about two weeks of me getting hired, the, our public relations person walks into my office with a suitcase and says, here, I, I was told to give this to you. And I said, what is that? Oh, you're playing Santa Claus. I said, uh, excuse me. I said, well, how did, how did this get decided? Well, is it because I'm the, Big fat Jew, is that why? She started laughing and she thought it was funny. I said, no, no, But no, what had happened was during my interview, I had forgotten that I told my boss, who was the human resources director, that I actually played Santa Claus uh, in the mall. I think, I don't know if he knew that or not. I don't remember if I told you or not. When I moved back to Pittsburgh and was a probation officer for the first time, when Stacy and I were still early in our marriage, my mother had gotten me a gig playing Santa Claus at the Galleria Mall, which is right near the South Hills Village Mall. And I did that for two years. Uh, and I found that very interesting. It was very boring, but it paid extra good money. So when I was talking about it with my boss, and he said, you know, he thought it was ironic that I was a Jewish person. I'm playing Santa Claus, but I told him how much I loved it. So he remembered that and said, oh, we have Santa Claus now. So I played Santa Claus for St. Jude's for, uh, from 2013 till 2016. Did it for 13, 14. Yeah, did it for uh, three seasons. Uh, uh, uh. It's a lot of kids begging you for stuff. It's kind of sure, no doubt, no doubt sets you up for what you're going through now with a, with a boy and a girl asking you for different things. That's great. That that is amazing. Congratulations. I mean, that's uh, you know, getting an advanced degree when I know at different times in our in our educational careers we didn't even know if we were going to graduate. <laughs> so True. that's great. That is great. Um, touch a, touch a little bit upon upon your wife and you know her. Uh, her education, her her track, since you guys were, you know, obviously in the same field and whatnot. Well, she is a graduate of the University of Pittsburgh, which I'm not happy about. I'm sorry, Cartwright, and uh, and Dan, and those other Pitt brothers that we have. Sorry, it's not it's not my fault. You went there, but uh, she has her bachelor's degree in psychology. She has her master's degree in uh, in education and child development. And they actually wanted her to continue on to get her PhD. But I think what stopped her was I told her that we were going to hold off on getting married until she finished her schooling. So I think by the time she finished her master's degree in 2001, I think she was done. I think because she, she had told me, she's like, I don't know if I want to stay, you know, one of her thesis providers or not provider. What do they call them? No, the, the thesis. Uh, your advisor. Yeah, that's it. Her thesis advisor really wanted her to stay and go into the school of uh, child development education to get her PhD. And I don't know if Stacy wanted to do it. I always question whether or not she wanted to do it, but you know, I mean, she graduated with almost a 4.0 uh, from her master's program. And she, she, you know, she just was lights out with her program, but I think it was time for her to kind of move on. So she is, she is pretty much stuck in social services like myself for the last 20 years. Um, I've, but the one thing I can say is I've really pushed her to, to really get where she's at. I don't, I would like to believe, and she may disagree with this, but I don't think she would be where she's at had it not been for me. Cause I really pushed her to get out of her comfort zone. Um, by the time we left, I mean, cause she would have stayed at Auburnly longer after I left. Uh, I convinced her to leave Auburnly to go run an agency. She actually ran a uh, black foster care agency in Pittsburgh. She was the executive director and she did that at 25. 26 she's running an agency and uh then that parlayed into her uh then going to vegas and then her working for the county and then eventually becoming a supervisor which she did for 
13 years, which then almost led to her becoming a manager there and then getting promoted to a manager here. And now eventually, you know, someday she'll probably be running the damn agency. <laughs> well, that's good for her. Good for her. So I've got two big questions for you as we, uh, sure. as we kind of wrap up the the career uh, section of this. And um, one, would Stacy have fallen for the college version of you? Oh, hell no. <laughs> Uh, I doubt it. I don't think anybody would have fell for the college version of me. I was just a, oh, I was just a, I could have did a little bit better. I could have been a lot nicer. Um, I think that I haven't changed that much in the sense as my personality, but I think the circumstances where we were at, I was still too childish. I mean, even after, even, I mean, being that we met only a year after graduation, I still think I was a little childish, but in the professional setting, I always knew what was appropriate. But I think if we had dated in college, not because I didn't take anything serious in college. I didn't take any relationship I had as serious as I could have been. So I think if we had dated, you know, that's one thing I admire about Bill. I mean, Jen's his college sweetheart. Same thing with John Ward uh, and Tim and 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 Stangle. You know, those guys who met their met their you know sweethearts in college, and you know, and they're still married to them and things like that. I mean, I admire them for that. I think that. Is especially since they're a lot younger than you and I, you know, by at least what three, four years. So I think that's an amazing commitment that I don't know if I would have been able to do. So that's a good question. Mm-hmm. And and the second question: Are you in Wes's tax bracket yet? <laughs> Nobody's in Wes's tax bracket, except <laughs> Donald. Except Donald Trump. All right. Good to know. I, I collect. I collect toys. He collects Ferraris. <laughs> you know, I, I'm out there buying. I'm out there buying uh, pops for five dollars. He's out collecting Porsches for a hundred thousand dollars. See the difference? Uh, no, no. <laughs> well, all right. Um, so, if you can share it, any part of this, um, you know, is there anything that? Uh, medical or anything that you've gone through in terms of experiences that have really challenged you and helped shape your life since graduation? Well, well, I can say for the most part, knock on wood, uh, I've been fairly healthy through my, most of my life. Uh, recently I've had two surgeries, uh, back in, uh, back in 2016, I went through a metamorphosis where I, I lost a lot of weight. And I tried to get myself into a healthier lifestyle. You remember, you you know, you saw it. I I probably dropped about 50, 60 pounds. Uh, And what I didn't know that it did is it threw me when I, and then my, and Stacy and I uh, went on our our 15th anniversary trip. So this is about four years ago. And he went to the Dominican Republic. And what I didn't realize is by doing that, doing that weight loss over that, that year and cutting a lot of things out of my diet, when I went on, on a bender in Dominican, it threw me into a, uh, uh, threw my body into a kind of like a flux, and I ended up having a gallbladder attack. On the last day, we were heading back to America, the United States, and I ended up in the hospital, and when I got back to the States, and then I ended up having emergency surgery, ended up having my gallbladder removed in the summer of 2016, as I was running a campaign for state legislature. Um, and then recently in December of 2018, I finally had shoulder surgery on my right shoulder. I finally decided after all the years of sports and the football and everything else I had done doing fraternity and everything that I had to get it taken care of. So I finally went under the knife again for the second time. I'd had my, uh, ACL repaired. I had my, uh, compression taken care of on my right shoulder. It's been now a year and almost a half and, and my shoulder feels amazing. You know, I still have issues every now and again, you know, but it's definitely something I should have did a long time ago. Good for you. Good for you. And and those experiences, what what did you learn from them? What did I learn? Well, I'll tell you this. I, and I don't, I don't think, I think you were, uh, I know that I, I, the gallbladder stuff happened really fast. You know that. But I remember going in, in you know, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I, this is, I know why men don't have children. We are babies. I don't know about you, but I'm a big baby. I don't like being sick. I don't, I don't like, like pain. Wrong with me. Not a fan I'm of pain. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fan with pain. And I'll tell you this: uh, when I went into the hospital that morning, and, and it, over at Centennial, uh, over at Centennial Hills, so I'm at the hospital. They're telling me they're going to admit me, 
Of course, you know, you've been through this a couple times. You start having that, oh crap moment. How serious is this? You know, am I going to, you know, know, every, they're telling you as you're signing the papers, you know, this well, you know, I'm like, what am I signing? Well, this says if you die during surgery, we're not responsible. Oh, (laughs) good to know. Good to know. Thank you for sharing that. Or, you know, the mortality of your life starts kicking in like, oh my God. Plus at that time, uh, the kids were in Pennsylvania because we had sent them off for the summer. So Stacy and I could go on our trip. So the kids aren't even home. I'm in the hospital. I start th- I start freaking out. The guy comes in to take me to surgery, and I freak out. Uh, I put my literally. I, I, I know you can't see this, but I, uh, I put my arms around the the like the bedpost or wherever they were trying to transfer me to, and I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. The guy's like, Look, man, I got to take you downstairs. Stacy's like, Let go. It'll be okay. No, I'm gonna die. I'm never gonna see my kids again. This is the end. This is not how I want to go out. And they're like, I'm like fighting with the guy. He's like, the nurse is coming in. Stacy's yelling at me. So I'm like, I literally had a freak out moment where I thought for sure this was it. Like the lights are going to go out. And that's the end of it. And uh, the poor orderly guy's like, I'm just trying to take you downstairs, man. I'm not trying to take you anywhere. <laughs> and then I get finally downstairs, and the surgeon comes up to me, and he's like, I heard you had a little problem upstairs. I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And he's, he's so he, you know they get ready to give you the drugs, and he said, All right, well here's what we're going to do. Breathe from count to three. One, and that's the last thing I remember. <laughs> and then I, you know, I wake up in recovery. Excellent, excellent. Well, and but but it's that mortality, man. And then you've been through it. I mean, you've been through some scary stuff. So I mean, I have nothing compared to what other guys have been through. You know, but God bless them. But that's just that mortality, man, hit you, and you're just like, holy cow! I mean, like you don't know how it's going to turn out. Like you just don't know how it's going to turn out. I definitely understand. I've, I've definitely been through a couple of them. I think the last time they were going to, the anesthesiologist was putting me out and uh, I had a couple of doctors that had to do a surgery. I, my last question was, you guys have done this before, right? <laughs> and of course they're sitting there saying, oh, he's got jokes. And that's the last thing I remember, but, but yeah. I definitely understand. Um, so, all right, that's good. So let's, let's circle back around and start closing this, this circle, so to speak. And, um, you know, here we are 20 plus years after graduation, you, you've moved from the East Coast to the West Coast to the, back to the East Coast, back to the West Coast. Now in the Midwest, uh, you've traveled a great deal uh, for work, for leisure. Um, reflecting back, you know, what do you miss most about being a brother, Kappa Phi Sigma? Wow, that's a tough, it's a, that's a, a, that's a tough question. I miss what I miss is looking at it. What I miss is just seeing guys. Even when we, even when we were doing nothing, we were doing something. As little as just sitting on the front porch on those Sundays, you know, watching everybody do the little walk of shame as they're going down the street. Uh, the little things. I think it's the little things. Just having a meal together. Uh, just having conversations together. Just sitting in, you know, either either sitting in your room or hanging out with Mark or going upstairs to the third floor, hanging out with Odie, and the guys. Uh, going to get, going to get, uh, going to watch a movie, going to hang, you know, always having somebody to hang out, with, hanging out with Neil and the guys, going to their, going to their apartment, knowing that you always had somebody around that you had something in common with, that you could call up, and or you could say, hey, who wants to go to happy hour? And you could guarantee you're going to get four or five guys. Hey, let's go get happy hour, even if we don't drink, even if we go for the free wings, uh, or hey, let's go watch a sporting event. Even if you didn't like, you know, let's go watch hockey. You hated hockey. You know, I'll go watch hockey. I don't care. Uh, you know, let's go watch. Let's go sit in the back, uh, you know, behind the fire station lot where they used to play uh, hockey, right? They played the hockey over there. And we would just hang out. I think that's the part I miss the most, just having people to hang around with that had similar likes, that were people that we were close with, people that we could hang out with, people that we could do things with. And, and, and when you were having a crappy day, you knew you could talk to anybody else in the brotherhood and you would feel better. It's crap. You know, when I went through all that crap at Penn state, you know, uh, that one semester when Mark and I were in that with, from that one professor lady, who was a piece of work and they tried the, you know, the whole, you know, making me stop school for a semester, you know, everybody listened to my spirits, you know, everybody still said, that's okay. You know, you, you'll be okay. It's not a big deal. Everybody, you know, you and all the guys were like, it's not a big deal. It happens just move on. And, and then I came back stronger, you know, and I came back 
after that, you know, that, that, in that spring of, uh, that spring of 97, when I was basically not in school and, you know, and you were like, it's okay. It's not a big deal. You know, it sucks that you, you know, we, you and I always talked about graduating together, but it was like, it's okay. It's, it's, it happens, you know, move on. And, and, and then I came back stronger and, uh, and it was like, that's the kind of stuff that I miss where I know if I'm having a crappy day, I can call somebody, I can see somebody, we can hang out for uh, that night. And it made things better. You know, as we're getting older, we don't have that. It's not a, having a phone call is great, but it's not the same as being able to grab a beer with somebody, you know, go someplace and hang out and do things. You know, like I, when Denny was talking about what he went through and I feel, I feel so horrible that there's, I'd be, I'd probably gone to Pittsburgh every year for the last decade, even when Vegas, you know that. And I never reached out to those guys and I never got together with those guys when he was going through his problems or Habib or yourself, you know, uh, or anyone. And I feel bad about that. That's the part that I kind of regret of not being as close as I should have and, and not being the kind of person I know I should be. So that when you, so when you say it's like, what do I miss? It's the whole thing. It's the whole idea of we created this organization to create something bigger than ourselves. And, and, and then after it was gone, you know, we lost track of it and we lost the idea behind it. And I think that's what I kind of, miss the most and regret well, we've got time still hopefully um and and we're looking to make up for that at this point and this is one of those ways so uh what are what are a couple of uh one or two standout experiences that you remember that you know you think of penn state you think of capify sigma you're never ever going to forget well one thing i'll definitely never forget was the look on your face in dance marathon when we took second place and you were, you, you, I, you had just danced for 48 hours. And I was, I was part of the, I was part of the support package. You know, you guys were on the floor and we're all sitting there and they're doing the whole award ceremony. And if you heard our name get called and you're looking at me and I'm looking at you and you're like, did I just hear what I thought I heard? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if I heard what I thought I heard. And they kept repeating it because nobody stood up. The guys were all looking at each other like, are they talking about us? It's because we couldn't count the the count we had on the on the money was yeah. was wrong was less we were, less we than were, what we, they had said. <laughs> yeah, we were our our accounting was so bad. You'd have thought we worked for the uh, government. And our accounting <laughs> was so bad. And you the look on your face, and you didn't even want to get up. You're like, I don't want to go up there. I'm tired. I, I want to keep sitting here. Like, no, you're the president. You have to go up there. I don't want to go up there. And you're just this look on your face, like you were so perplexed. And then you walk up there. And you didn't even look happy. You're like, thanks. And then you grab the trophy and you sat back down. I was like, that's your moment? That's like, and you're like, oh, dude, I'm too tired. I can't think about this. I, I just, I, I can't. The concept was just so, and it was the, and I think the best thing about it was, is that they were still debating, right? If I remember, they were still debating about us being in IFC, right? I think, or had we gotten in yet? I can't um, remember. I think that had, that sealed the deal for, for us yeah, that we were yeah. going to get in. And it, and it was so funny if I, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember you looking at me and saying, "Let them say no now." <laughs> you know, and I was like, "Huh?" You're uh, like, yeah, you're like, "F them, let them say no now." I like, we don't even need them now. In fact, they need us. I remember you were going on some. I'm like, "Now you're going to go on a tirade." Now it's finally sunk in after they're already moving on, and you're going. But that's the thing. I know that was one of the moments I'll never forget. Like I'll never forget the look on your face when we, when we took second place uh, for that one, and probably the the. The other one would probably be our first initiation that we did uh, in the house when we finally got the fraternity house. And I think we finally had our own space and we finally had our own things that we could do. That first kind of like everything there was was I'll never forget because it was finally it was finally ours. It was finally something that we had. I mean, if you think back to AFIO coming Kappa Phi Sigma running our I mean, we did our first freaking initiation at uh, Fuller's dad's garage in Duquesne. <laughs> You know what I mean? We're in this little crappy garage. It's in freezing in the middle of winter, and we're trying to do this initiation for Kappa Phi Sigma, and we're freezing to death. You know, and you, all you smell is gasoline and freaking fumes, and he made, you know, Jeff had to turn on this rocket heater so he wouldn't freeze to death. And then and, and basically in two short years, here we are in State College. Uh, we have a house on one of the main avenues, and we're now, like, legit it's like uh, you know it's like but now we're legit and now we're just 
like, you know, like almost like, you know, what do we always say? You know, F you, we're going to do it anyways. You know, you're not going to stop us whether we like it or not. I mean, and after that first meeting, you and I went up to UFC uh, or I, IFC when we were at McKee Sport, me, you, and Fuller. And the guy was like, yeah, this basically, this is probably never going to happen. Well, F you, we're going to do it anyways. You know, we're not going to stop <laughs> whether you like it or not. And then the guy, that guy ends up getting fired or leaves or whatever, and they bring in somebody else. And they're like, well, of course we'll open arms. You know, it's just that's the kind of stuff you forget and you miss. Like the, the look on our faces, like we don't, you don't know who you're messing with. Like that's just not going to happen. That's not an option. And then when you, uh, when and, you shock yourselves, and, and, that's even better. Yeah, and here's the thing I think, but here's the here's the thing. I'll even kind of turn this on you. Had you and I not been older, I don't know if we would have done that. I think that if we had all been the same age, all of this were around you know 19, 20, 21 years old. I don't know if we would have done that. I think we would have probably not taken uh, such a hard road and and did this had we not been older. You know, you and I, you know, being in our early early twenties, twenty three, twenty four, twenty five. I think those guys would have bullied us to the point of just giving up. It didn't happen, and look at where we are. Um, it's a it's a great thing. Speaking of, when was the last time you heard "Goodnight Saigon"? I played all the time. All right, and where where do your thoughts go to when you hear the song? I, I the only person I ever think of when I hear "Goodnight Saigon" is I think of Mikey Bolton every single time. That's every time I play that song, I can see his look on his face. I can still picture him that look on his face. That you know, he's that he was either that skinny little guy with his glasses or not glasses, and he just had that look on his face. You know, when he smiled, and he was such a you know, he, <laughs> he just had a weird sense of humor. But every time I hear "Good Nights Like God," I always think of Mikey Bolton. You know, and, I, and he passed away in you know, 2006, uh, and it's like I never forget that. You know, and, and, and even when I was there at his funeral, and I had a chance to to be there, and, and I saw him in the casket. You know, he still looked like Mikey Bolton. You know, I'll, I'll never forget him. He was like, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say I was the best of friends with him because I wasn't. I'm not going to pretend like. You know that it, him and I were like going to be best friends, but I know that him and I got along really well, and he, he was what I always antithesize in, in, uh, our brotherhood would be. And uh, him, every time I hear "Good Night Saigon," that's what I think about. I think about my people. I think about those days in the house, circled up, uh, singing the song, and making fun of each other, and <laughs> then in, enjoying what it was all about. Um, and we all miss Mikey, and, and God rest his soul. And hopefully, he's looking down on us. Probably one of the people, one of the people making this happen right now. To be quite honest, uh, but he and I got a chance to reconnect before his passing. I, I didn't know what was happening, but um, but it was really good to kind of uh, just you know make certain that things were in a good place. I was really shocked. Uh, he could have shared shared a little bit more than what he did, but he didn't. And, and this is my not, not my interview; it's yours. So, I, I, but I did want to point that out since we're talking about our fallen <laughs> brethren, uh, and you know, God rest his soul. So, so what has it been like reconnecting with everyone on Group Me and the virtual happy hour Fridays? And and you know, at some point, you know, we we all know that our lives are going to go on uh, to normalcy at some point. So, at, you know, well, I hope it doesn't end. I know it won't be as well attended as it has been so what do you think well i'll tell you this uh, it's it's what you make up you know um the, the only thing i can compare it to is the guys i served with in the navy because that's about the only other brotherhood i ever had uh and i still and i still see them every year religiously and you know this uh for the last 20 plus years every year we get together even if it's only a couple it's just me tommy and rico we get together every year Every single year we get together, no matter where it is, no matter what we're doing, no matter how long it takes, we always find a way to get together. So I think it's one of those situations where this doesn't have to be the end. This is just the beginning. And I think if people want to connect, like you said, they will connect. And I think that I will make a more valid effort to include everyone. And I think that once this does end, like all things end, it does, you know, we don't have to stop it. It only stops when you want it to stop. And, and that's the same thing I tell people, you know, like I said, I get together with the guys I served with as often as I can. Some, not all of them, but the ones that I care about, I always see. You, you care about people, you will always find ways to see them if you choose to. All right, Hal. Anything that you'd like to say to the brothers that are listening to this podcast right now? Well, I'll say this. I 
I am hopefully excited to hear everybody's story. I hope that you get a chance to speak with every, all of the brothers. And I think that I'm looking forward to connecting with all of them and that I am going to make this, I'm making this promise. You know, I'm going to make this promise to you and to the rest of the brotherhood that this is just the beginning. This is not an end. And I don't want it to stop. Uh, I think as we're getting older, I think we can make this part of our routine. And I, I, I want to let them all know that I want to be there for them. And I promise that I would do my best to continue to be very active in their lives if they want, if they let me. And, I, and, I, and, you know, and I will make sure that anytime they call, anytime they text, anytime they want to reach out, if I can be available or if they need me, I will be there. Great. Thank you very much. We've been speaking with Howard Breen, Penn State grad, class of 1998, former University Park president, Kappa Phi Sigma Beta chapter, uh, father, husband, and mentor to so many kids at this point throughout his career. Uh, Thanks for sharing your thoughts with us. Thanks for sharing your life with us and the lessons that you've learned over the course of time. Really appreciate the time that you've spent here talking with me and willing to share so much. And most importantly, willing to put yourself back out there and, and open up those relationships, those doors to those relationships that meant so much to us so long ago. Uh, you guys have a great night, Howard. To all the brothers listening, uh, hopefully we will get to all of you uh, sooner rather than later so everyone can share their story. But most importantly, we miss you. And we hope to be together very soon. Have a great night.